came in like a missile, like a fireball missile across from the New York Harbor side, I guess from the north direction. It came in like a spear, just speared through the building like a fireball. I've never seen war up close, but today I have. It's just this sound, this rumble. This mass cloud coming at us. It's intense. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. All right, welcome to the second night of this prophecy seminar, as my brother Romario has pointed out. I pray that last night's um, thoughts that the Lord opened up was a blessing and that we, um, we were enlightened by them and, and, and also. Um, seen and understand things a little better. Yeah, that worked out. So I do indeed praise God. I, I really do hope that we did see um, some of the things that the Lord's opening up. And um, the theme, at least for me, is as we go through this is evidence. You know, faith without evidence is no faith at all. Amen. And the Lord doesn't want, uh, there's no such thing in Christianity as blind faith. Um, Jesus did his miracles to, to, to establish the faith of the doubting. And everyone that accepted Christ in the time of Christ had plenty of evidence to support the, the religion in which they got baptized into. And if it was like that in his day, it has not changed because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he gave the first disciples evidences for their faith, then he will certainly give us evidences for our faith. So by the grace of God, as we go through this prophecy seminar, the goal is to, to, to hopefully um, leave everyone here with the reasons of our faith and that hopefully we will be moved to join the faith in which we're standing on, which is the original faith of Seventh-day Adventists. And, I, and we pray that by the grace of God that we will be interested to find out what it is that Seventh-day Adventists is really supposed to believe. Because in the time of Christ, the Jews did not believe what they were really supposed to believe. And so in our time, Christians, Seventh-day Adventists especially, really don't believe what they're supposed to believe. And the number one reason for that is because they have no evidence to support anything that they profess to believe in. It was only a handful of people in the time of Christ that had evidence for why they believe what they believe. And it's only a handful of people today, just like eight people got on the ark, that have a reason for why they believe what they believe. So I pray that by the grace of God as we go through tonight, um, the Lord would really stamp some wonderful evidences in our mind that we can prove and look at for ourselves. So without any further ado, let us open up with a silent word of prayer. Amen. So we're going to begin in our notes. Uh, which page did I put 14. in there? Page 14 in our notes, part three, 
Um, we're dealing with part three tonight on page three in the page 14 in the notes. Now, last night we left off on one showing that we need to have evidence to support our faith. And the, 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 the main text I was read to support this was Hebrews 11, verse 1, where Paul says, um, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then in verse 6 he says, but without faith it is impossible to please him, because um, he, he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So in order to come to God, we must believe that he is. And in order to please him, we must have evidence to sustain the belief that we have that he is. And if we don't have any evidence to support why it is we believe in God, our faith cannot possibly please him. And the Lord wants everyone's faith to be pleasing to him. He wants everyone's faith to be like that of Abel, where he can have respect onto it. And last night we saw that God did not have respect onto Cain's offering because he did not do well. And the reason he didn't do well was because he didn't study the more sure word of prophecy. And last night we saw that Paul said that to, to, to quench the spirit is to despise prophecy. So any, if we're sitting in a congregation where prophecy is not something that's entertained by the church, you're, not, you're in a place where God's spirit is being quenched. Because 2 Peter 1, 19 to 20 says, Knowing this verse that no prophecy, I'm reading from verse 20, Knowing this verse that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy did not come in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So to quench the, the, the teaching of prophecy is to quench the medium by which prophecy came in the first place. The reason why this is, it's like this in the churches is because of a bad understanding of what prophecy really means. And prophecy just means history in advance. History is the Christian's evidence that God is. History is what God has preserved for mankind to call men attention to the work that God allowed to be manifest at that time so that we can see that the word of God that prophesied that, John 14, 29, that when it is come to pass, we might believe. So before anything comes to pass, God is going to have a people that gives a prophecy, Ezekiel 37, and the prophecy in which they give, which is a, which is a knowledge of history, showing how history has been fulfilled, this gathers the dead bones. So in our notes, um, we have in there James chapter 2, I believe, and it said, and, and the main theme there in James is that faith without works is dead, being alone. So when we bring what, together what Paul says, he's simply saying evidence without works is what? Dead. If we don't have any evidence, to if we don't have any works to support our faith also, it is dead. If I believe something, there should be a work that follows. The work is the evidence that I believe. So, therefore, evidence, God gives us evidence that we might believe. That's his works. When God gives us evidence, that's God's work. And when we believe God's work, that should lead us, us to have works. God always works with his evidence, and when we receive his evidence, we should have works to support it. God works, and we must work. This is how Christianity is supposed to work. Now, when you go on in our notes, we want to read um, step, this um, quote from Steps of Christ. Can you, somebody read that, please? Um, but before you read that, 
I have on the board some helpful tools. And from last night, we went over that some of the tools in which we use in order to understand prophecies, such as Strong's Concordance, I encourage us to get a hold of that. Um, we, we use eSword. That's one um, a app we use, eSword, and you may have to pay for it, but it's worth the price. And then another tool in which we use is the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, right along with the Merriam's Webster Dictionary. I like to use both of them because of the, 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 how they use, express the words for the definition. And also, we use the EG White app, EG White 2 app. It's a blue, there's two of them. There's a red one and there's a blue one. And the blue, the blue one says EG White 2. And the other one just says EGW. And the other one is EGW2, I should say that, EGW2. It's a blue one. And we like to use those. And now for the EGW2 app, if you have a smartphone and you can get, gain access to this, I want to encourage us to download these books. I should have had them written on the board. I want to encourage us to download these books, um, exactly these books, Patriarchs and Prophets. It's a book called Patriarchs and Prophets by Ellen White. And another book is called Prophets and Kings. And a third book is called The Desire of Ages. And a fourth book is called The Acts of the Apostles. And the fifth book is called The Great Controversy. And out of all five of the, those books, I want to encourage us to read the first one and the last one. Those two are two of the greatest reads that you can find in the Seventh-day Adventist religion that will help to increase your faith in the Bible. And if you want a, a practical godliness to bring about good works in your life, I want to encourage you to read Desire of Ages. The Desire of Ages is one of, is one of the best books in Seventh-day Adventists that really encourages good works in Christ. And I, I, I promise you, we promise you, if you read these books, there's no way you can leave away saying that this is not inspired, that this is not the work of God. I promise you. Um, I, those are some wonderful books, Patriarchs and Prophets, Prophets and Kings, The, um, the Desire of Ages, The Acts of the Apostles, and Great Controversy. And there's a sixth book I want to encourage us to get as well which will also help to boost our faith. It's called Daniel and Revelations. Daniel and Revelations by Uriah Smith. I want to encourage us. All of those books are on that app, the EGY2 app. And if you want a simplistic way of coming to Christ, I want to encourage you to get the book we're about to read from. It's called Steps to Christ. And this book is, is it's a short read, but it's one of the most simplest and most beautiful book to encourage, us, encourage someone, especially who becomes a brand new Christian. Um, and it's called Steps to Christ. So if you can get access to these books, and there's plenty of other books on that, a wealth, a ton of information that will be of great benefit and you, for you in your Christian walk and your Christian experience. So we're going to read this quote. And what she's going to talk about in this quote is that in order to believe in God, we need evidence to support it. So she's going to sustain what the Bible says, but she's going to say it a whole lot better than I can in words. Can somebody read that, please? God never asks us to believe without giving sufficient evidence upon which to base our faith. His existence, his character, the truthfulness of his word are all established by testimony that appeals to our reason. And this testimony is abundant. Yet God has never removed the possibility of doubt. Our faith must rest upon evidence, not demonstration. Those who wish to doubt will have opportunity, while those who really desire to know the truth will find plenty of evidence on which to rest their faith. Beautiful quote. God never asks us to believe without giving sufficient 
evidence. He never does. That word never means never. And then she says, he gives us evidence that appeals to our reason. So evidence is reasonable. A faith that has no evidence is unreasonable. A unreason it's unreasonable to say I believe in God and have no evidence to support that claim. That is an unreasonable faith and it cannot please God. If someone was to ask you why you believe in God, you would give an unreasonable response. Mm -hmm. And then you are more likely to get offended by being asked that question. But if you believe in God, you will be ready always, like Peter says, to give an answer of the faith, the evidence that lies within you with meekness and fear and trembling. A person who have evidence what he, for what he believes will not be afraid of questions that will be asked him. And if he cannot answer at that time, he will go home and search the scriptures to obtain evidence so that he might go back and answer the question he wasn't ready to answer at that time. That's how the Lord expects us to be. And notice what the quote said. There's plenty of evidence to support the truth in which we believe. Plenty. All right. So what I hope to do, do tonight is give us a wealth of evidence to support why we stand on the ground as Seventh-day Adventists. This is what I hope to do tonight. And I believe evident, the evidence that God gives, it's so simple that a, 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 child, a, a child of a third, a third grade education can comprehend these evidences and come stand with me by my side. So this next quote I want to look at is, uh, is from a book called CIS, and this is also on the EGW2 app. It's a wonderful book, CIS, Christ and His Shadows. And no, the, um, Christ in the Sanctuary, that's it, right? Christ in the Sanctuary, yes, Christ in the Sanctuary. And now I want to read, and what I want to read tonight from this is about illustration. God loves illustration. He's, he, he's, he, he just loves, he loves, we're children. Children love illustration. I love to illustrate. I love illustrating because I, what I found is illustration does more than preaching. It does far more than preaching. That's why the Lord gave us nature so nature can preach to us when no one is there to preach to us. But if we don't understand how God speaks, then we won't hear the language that nature is saying to us. God is always speaking to humanity, but humanity doesn't hear the voice that speaks to them because they don't understand the language of heaven. So by the grace of God, we hope that when, when y'all leave here tonight, y'all will come closer to understanding the language of heaven, which is the more sure word of prophecy. When we understand prophecy, we come near to the language of heaven. So can, let's, can you read this quote, please? The earthly sanctuary with its types and symbols is like the powerful lenses of the telescope, which make it possible to view heavenly bodies that otherwise would be invisible. To the eye of the ignorant, those wonderful lenses appear like ordinary glass, but the, astrom the astronomer who longs to know of the wonders of the heavens is filled with rapture as he gazes through them. In like manner, the Christian who will study the typical service of the earthly sanctuary, not as a collection of dry, lifeless relics of ancient worship, but as a wonderful art gallery where, by the hand of the master artist, the different parts of the marvelous plan of redemption are portrayed, will be astonished at the beauty revealed. The figures fairly speak to him, as it were, from the canvas. They tell the beautiful story of the Savior's love until his very soul is filled with rapture as he gazes upon them. He right. sees. No, you can keep going. Okay. 
He sees the vivid picture of the priest in snow-white robe leading the red heifer out to the rough, uncultivated valley, there to offer it a sacrifice for sin. He sees him sprinkle its blood on the rough stones of the valley to teach that Christ died for the most worthless, for the veriest outcasts. Who, who can gaze on that picture without having his heart filled with love for such a compassionate redeemer? You can read the next one too, please. Next one. Yeah, two, three. Uh, uh, you read the whole thing? Yeah. Okay, fine. Praise God. Um, what I liked about that quote is that he took a telescope and he used that to say that the sanctuary is like a telescope. As we use a telescope to look out into the far distant space to catch the, the galaxies and the planet and the stars, so we use the, san the, the earthly sanctuary as our telescope to see the far beyond in heaven. The sanctuary teaches us what Christ is doing in heaven. If every single Christian understood this, you would not need a pastor. You wouldn't need a pastor. The sanctuary is your pastor. Here's what the Lord showed through this. The Jewish, the Jewish religion, even if their minister was wicked, which many of them were, such as Phineas, Phineas and Hophni, they were very wicked priests. They did not teach the word of God. They didn't set a right example before the people. But here's, but here's what God did. God knew that there would be a lot of wicked ministers. So the Lord designed a religion that even if they were wicked and they still did the sanctuary work, you who understood God and saw that work, God would preach to you independent of the priest. You would not need the priest, priest to preach to you because the Holy Spirit was there to teach the people what the, the work that the priest was doing. It was only an illustration of what God was doing to them and what Christ was going to do when he come. This is why David can say, um, sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a broken and contrite heart thou require. That's what the Lord David saw that. And David said, I went into the sanctuary and, and, and saw the end and David repented. The sanctuary was there to do the preaching if the priests failed to preach. Nature is there to preach to us if the church fails to preach. But if we don't understand the language of heaven, we can't understand what the sun is. Every day the sun is preaching to humanity. Every day the trees are preaching to humanity. God has put a lesson in sun, bird, sea, land, and people to teach us heavenly things. But if we don't understand the rules of how heaven does this, then we can't hear the language. We're deaf. And now Jesus needs to send a minister to heal our hearing so that when we leave his presence and we don't hear the minister anymore, what the illustration he left with us will always speak to us. And because God is eternal, his illustrations are eternal. So what we're going to do now from this point on for, uh, for a little while, a brief moment, we're going to look at some simple illustrations that I believe if we, if, we, if we receive these illustrations tonight, you will have a solid ground to place your feet on for, for your faith this evening and onwards. And what we're going to start with in the notes is, um, I think it comes up to Christ in three and a half years, correct? That, no, you had Hebrews, you said? Hebrews 2 is... But that's one of your comments for three and a half years. Yeah, I'm going to read those. Um, I had them in to joggle a memory. So Hebrews 2, it says Christ ministered for three and a half years, and then after Christ, it was the disciples. Can you, your hands free? Yeah. Okay. Can you write where Christ, I forgot to put this, put head under 27 and 31, and then 31 and 34, put body. 
physical head and body. So we're going to use this illustration up here to illustrate the gospel percent because God loves illustration. The illustration preaches all, can preach so powerfully when it's illustrated correctly. So what we're going to do is, even if you don't understand the Seventh-day Adventist religion, and even if you don't understand the Christian religion, I believe anyone with a little bit of sense understands this, that the Old Testament was the religion the Jews lived by. The Jews lived by that, by that faith. That's, that's the faith they lived by. Now, why am I saying this? When Adam and Eve sinned in Eden, once they broke God's law, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And God commanded them that if they eat, if they eat what he has forbidden, they were going to die. So once they sinned, a death penalty should have been executed. But what the Lord did, God held back the death penalty. In other words, he paid the price of their sin. Now, to teach men, to teach Adam and Eve that he paid the price of their sin, or he was going to come to pay the price of their sin, he gave them, a, he gave them a, an atonement system. He gave them an offering system. He told them they had to offer up a lamb, and that lamb was evidence to them that Christ was going to come and die in the place of what they did. That's what that was to them. So when Cain didn't bring an offering, he was despising that which the lamb was telling him. He was not trying to hear the message being spoken to him in bringing a lamb. So he brought fruits. And the Bible says God had no respect unto Cain's offering because that's not the sacrifice God told him to bring. He was to bring a sacrifice that would keep his mind looking to the Messiah that was going to come to deliver him from his sin. But Cain did not appreciate such teachings, so therefore he did what he wanted to do. From that point on, there's your two religions. The one that's going to do what God wants them to do, and the one that's going to profess to believe in God, but live the life how they want to live life while still claiming that profession. That's very dishonest and deceitful. And that's the religion Cain developed. So the point is, when God gave them the sacrificial system, from Eden, from Eden to Moses... From Eden to Moses, the fathers were the one that was to offer up a sacrifice for the household. But when Moses, after God delivered Israel from out of Egypt, God changed that old system and he committed now the offering of sacrifices to the Levites. And he, now God added something new. He added a sanctuary system to the offering. Prior to that, there was no sanctuary system. All they had to do was offering. But now the time came for God to add a new aspect of their religion to the old religion. So the Lord did away with the old religion of the fathers being the one to offer up sacrifices. And now he designated the Levite priests to be the one to offer up sacrifices. So no longer is the fathers. It's now the Levite priests. If anyone wanted their sins forgiven, they had to find a priest. And the priests had to do that work. If anyone tried to do, do the work of offering a sacrifice, they were rebelling against God. And we have a record of somebody doing that. His name was King Saul. King Saul tried to do the work of the priest. And Uzzah, no, 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 Uriah, Uzziah, Uzziah. Whatever was the work of the priest, no one was to do it but the priest. The lesson there is no one is to cleanse us or offer up our sins but Christ. Christ and those in whom he has appointed to do that work with him. 
outside of that, you're not to touch it. You're to, you're to find the person that Christ has anointed to, to work with him in this service, and then you work with him. So from Eden to Moses, the religion changed. It's the same religion, but the people that God used to carry out his work has changed. It's no longer people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Job. Read the story of Job. Job offered up sacrifices for his children. This was before the sanctuary system. But once the sanctuary system came in, Job couldn't do that anymore. Moses couldn't do that anymore. Abraham couldn't do it anymore if they were alive in that time. The Levites had to do that. That's how you know the book of Job was written before the sanctuary system. That's how you know. It had to be written before that. That's how people came to God before Moses. But once Moses the deliverer came, the system changed. Why am I saying this? Once the deliverer came, the system was going to change. Once Christ came, that earthly system was to change. That's what the Lord was teaching them through the types for when Christ came. The Old Testament is an illustrated form of what Christ was going to do when he come to this earth. That's all the Old Testament is. What Christ was going to do when he come to this earth. So now I want to put this in. What was the character? I have COC up here, and, I, and I'm asking those of us, take a picture of this illustration so you can remember it, and ask us questions of what the acronyms mean, and by the grace of God, we'll get them to you. I, I have COC up here, and COC, and underneath that, can somebody read off what I have underneath there so, so the audience can hear? Commandments. Commandments. Sabbath. Sabbath. And sanctuary. Sanctuary. Okay, so the acronym there, before I say that, so from Eden to the coming of Christ, the people of God was looking for the first advent of Christ. They were looking for Christ's first advent. So from Eden to the coming of Christ, the church was in a waiting position, waiting for their Messiah. And while they were waiting, Christ says they were to keep his commandments, they were to keep the Sabbath, and they were to have the sanctuary system. They were to have faith in the atonement system that he gave them from Eden. And this is what they were to have so that they would know what Christ was going to do when he came to this earth. Why am I saying this? COC means character of the church. And the character of the church was their commandment keepers, they keep the Sabbath, they have this atonement system, and they're waiting for the first advent. So why am I saying this? Because in a logical sense, they keep the Sabbath and they're looking for the Advent. They were Seventh-day Adventists. That's what they were. From Eden to the coming of Christ, Seventh-day Adventists was waiting for the first Advent. When the first Advent now is established, I have FAC up there, and FAC means first Advent of Christ. SAC means second advent of Christ. Now that the first advent is established, you can put E on FAC, and this is face. When man came face to face with God and humanity, the first coming was established. When Christ died, he became the sacrifice that fulfilled all the daily sacrifices. So there was no more need of any sacrifices. The religion changed. It changed. The deliverer is here. 
the Messiah is here. No more do we go to an earthly system. We now look to a heavenly system. The earthly sanctuary was to be a type of the, the place where Christ was going to work in heaven. Because in the earthly sanctuary, the only ones who can go in there was who? Who was the only one that can go in there? The priest. The priest. So where were the people when the priest went in? Outside. So how do the people know what was in there? By the priest. And they had to live by the faith of the priest. The priest told them what was in there. They can't go in there. The priest told them there was a lamp. The priest told them there was a showbread. The priest told them there was an altar of incense. In other words, we have to believe somebody that came from heaven to tell us what was in heaven. And that's why Jesus says, if I've told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? He came from heaven to tell us what was in heaven. And he gave us the earthly system that we might know the work he's doing in heaven. Okay, so now follow this. So Jesus went back to heaven. And what is the church now waiting for? For Christ to come again. They're waiting for him to do what? Come again. They're looking for the second advent. So what should be the character of the church that waits for his second advent? Seventh-day Adventists. They should keep the commandments, they should keep the Sabbath, and they should have an understanding of the sanctuary system. That's what they should have. This is what the Old Testament teaches, and this is the New Testament didn't change. All Christ did was took the worship from dead animals to a living faith. He took away an old faith to a living faith, the living faith in Christ. So now man, is, they're no longer to look at the things naturally, they're to look at the things spiritually. So when Jesus came, he had to convert his disciples to go from an earthly mindset of looking at things to a heavenly-minded way of seeing things. All right, so follow me through this illustration. So 27 AD, what did Jesus do in 27 AD? He got baptized. Okay, so that's the evidence for our faith. Jesus got baptized in 27 AD, and who spoke from heaven? Father. And what came down? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So 27 AD is marked in history as a fulfillment of Daniel 9:24. The Messiah got baptized, and the Father spoke from heaven to mark off in history for all eternity the year 27 A.D. So 27 A.D. becomes our historical evidence that God did send his son and he got baptized. But what is baptism a symbol of? Death and what? Okay, so what died in 20, something died in 27, something really died 27 A.D. What died? Praise God. Praise God. Christ took away the old system to point to what he was going to do 31 A.D. He took it away. He, he was the first one to kill the old religion, to make way for the new religion. And, and because he was going to start a new religion, he raised up new leaders, the 12 disciples. The 12 disciples were now the new leaders of the new faith. And Jesus began to teach them the new faith because he was doing away with the old faith. 
You see, brethren, the Jews were supposed to kill the old faith and make way for the new faith. Jesus is the minister of the new religion. I want us to keep this in mind. A new religion is taking over an old religion. Satan said, I will be like who? So he's going to have a what? A new religion to take away what? His old religion. Because the religion that opposed the religion of Christ from Eden to Christ was what? No, no, no. What was the religion that opposed the religion of Christ till the coming of Christ? Oh, well, it's what is it called? Paganism. What does paganism mean? Can somebody read the definition? I love this. All right, we're going to use one of the tools to help to give us a better understanding of the truth. One of the tools that I'm going to use is the 1828 dictionary. What does paganism mean? Can I have a reader for that, please? It means heathenism. The Heathenism, worship of false gods. Worship of false gods, but I or, love this next one. Or the system of religious opinions. Stop right there. What does paganism mean? The system, the system of, of religious, religious opinions. opinions. So Satan introduced, after man fell, a system of religious opinion. And these opinions warred against the true religion that Christ put in place. There's only two religions on planet Earth. The one that comes from the mind of God and the one that comes from the mind of Satan. And whichever religion we develop, that's the religion that's going to mold our minds. No one can live without a religion. It's impossible. It's physically impossible to live without a religion. Religion simply means opinion. Whose opinion are we going to go with? Christ's opinion of what a man should be or Satan's opinion of what a man should be? Whose opinion are we going to choose? Christ set up his system of religion, which was Judaism, the Israelite, the sanctuary system. And Satan, to war against Christ's religion, set up the system of opinions in paganism. So what happened to that system? The author of the system came to earth. And the author of the religion of the Jews fought against the religion of paganism. That's what Christ did. Christ fought against paganism single-handedly himself. His new religion overthrew paganism. That's what it did. And 27 AD to 31 AD, what Christ was doing, he was trying to appeal to the leaders of the old faith. He was trying to appeal to the leaders of the Jewish religion. And if they did not accept the new faith, he was going to establish the new leaders in the 12 disciples. That's what Christ was going to do. What happened? He established the new leaders. Why? What happened in 3180? What did the old leaders do? They killed Christ. They chose to clung to the old faith and rejected the new faith. What, as long as Christ was alive, they, they, their, their probation was not sealed. The Jewish nation, their probation wasn't sealed as long as Christ was alive. But once Christ says it is finished, the Jewish nation, that system, done away. So what must God now do? Take it out of the way. He must take it out of the way. Because it, 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 it's hindering the new faith. He that will let, will let until God takes it out of the way. So God took the religion of the Jews out of the way by Titus in 70 AD. He destroyed their city and their sanctuary. 
he made it desolate because the leaders of that system did not want to receive the new system that he was putting in. All right. So what did Satan learn by seeing what Christ did? How to remove an old system for a new system. He got it from Christ. Satan can't do what he didn't see because he's not a creator. He has to wait on the creator to do a work before he can know what work he should do. And once he saw what the creator did, because Christianity, all right, so 31 AD, 31 AD, Jesus went to heaven, and now the church is looking for the second advent. And while they wait, they're to keep the commandments, they're to have a knowledge of the sanctuary that Christ went to heaven to build from 31 to 34 AD. 31 to 34 AD, Jesus was raising up his sanctuary on the first day of the first month. That's what Christ was doing. And at 34 AD, the services of the holy place began. That's what happened 34 AD. And those services went from 34 AD to October 22nd, 1844. And then Jesus began the most holy place services to the sanctuary. And this is where Seventh-day Adventist was now raised up to give to the world the work that Jesus is now doing in heaven. The disciples was raised up in 31 AD to give to the world the work that Jesus was doing in heaven. That's what they were raised up to do. And for three and a half years, the disciples did that work. But where did they remain? In Jerusalem. Because, go ahead. In the court. In the, where was it? In the court. Praise God. So in 27 AD to 31 AD, Jesus was trying to reach the leadership. In 31 AD, Christ and the disciples was now trying to reach the body. The leaders had to have faith that God was in Christ. Now the body have to have faith that Christ was in the disciples. What, what the father did with his son, Christ did with his children. What, Christ, what the father did through Christ, Christ now do through the disciples. Christ's father work and then Christ's work. First the father and Christ's work and then Christ and his children work. That's our religion. That's how Christianity works. That's literally how Christianity works. Okay, now now's a problem. So in 34 AD, you can read Acts. Remember, we're just doing this in illustration format. You can read all these things. In 34 AD, when Stephen was stoned, Christianity now went where? Everywhere. It went everywhere. It was no longer confined to the Jewish nation. For seven years, Jesus, from 27 to 34, Jesus ministered to the, to the Jews. I wish I, I wish I can illustrate a thought to that, but I'm going to leave that out for right now. For seven years, Jesus did something with the Jews. So remember, 27 AD, the old faith died and a new faith began to be raised up. That's what happened 27 AD. And from 27 to 34 AD, Jesus was establishing the new faith. He's taking away the old. He's removing that system. And 31 AD, it's fully removed. And the new faith is built on better promises. That's what Paul said. It's now built on better promises. And the disciples went forth with this new faith to the Jewish nation. And when they, were, when they fully and completely, seven means completion. When they completely rejected that faith, God now went to battle with paganism. And paganism began to be destroyed. 
The old religion couldn't stand up to the new religion. The old religious opinion, the old, remember, the old system of religious opinion couldn't battle with the new system of faith. So what do you think Satan did? Satan opposed the religion of Christ from without. His new opposition is what? From within. Since without couldn't overthrow the religion of Christ, he now thinks that within can overthrow the religion of Christ. What is the within religion? That's what we're going to go to in 2 Thessalonians. The new, the new religion of Christ is Christ in us, the hope of glory. The new religion of Satan is God on earth, worship me. That's the new religion of Satan. This is what Paul is talking about in 2 Thessalonians. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. Satan is now working to set up his new system of religious opinion. All right, the Old Testament, what is it called? The Word of God. The Old Testament is the Word of God. And all that the Old Testament taught about God manifested itself in Christ. So all that paganism taught about a false religion system manifested itself in one man. That's what it did. The Word became flesh in one man, so Satan is going to start a system where all his false ideas is going to manifest themselves in one man, in one system, to oppose the one man system that Christ set up. And Christ has priests, the 12 disciples, and all of his disciples. So this system is going to have one man and is going to have many priests to help him in that work. Is, is there a picture being painted in your mind right now? I hope there's a, you should be looking for a church on earth that has a, a one man that's above every man and he has many priests to help him in his work. Why does it look so similar to Christ and his work? Why does it look that way? Because that's the antichrist system. This is the new way that Satan chose to oppose Christ. And this is the direction we're now going to look at. The reason why I had to put Christ system in, because if you can see Christ, you can see Antichrist. To see Christ's work is to see the false work. If you can see Christ, you can see Antichrist, because it's just going to be opposite or opposed to what Christ did. So Christ took away the daily sacrifice. What did he do? Took away the daily sacrifice. What did the pagans used to do? They had daily sacrifices. They had daily sacrifices. So as Christ took away his daily sacrifices and had one main sacrifice, he naturally laid down his life. So paganism is going to have to lay down its life and make way for the new religion. Six minutes. Six minutes? Thank you. So we're going to go into that from there. So Christianity, Christ had to lay down his life that the new religion might go forward. So paganism had to die so that the new religion might go forward. As Christ took away the daily, Satan takes away the daily. That's it, right there. So we're going to, in our next study, we're going to build off of 2 Thessalonians. I pray that by the grace of God, this was a blessing for us this evening. 
And I pray that this would have given us some evidence or, or make you aware of why we are Seventh-day Adventists. Because when, we, when, when God's church, when Jesus' church was looking for the advent of Christ, they were keeping the Seventh-day Sabbath while they looked for the advent of Christ. While God's church after the cross looked for the advent of Christ, they're keeping the Seventh-day Sabbath while they wait for the advent of Christ, the second coming. Every advent of Christ must find the people keeping the commandments, keeping the Sabbath, and they have an understanding of the sanctuary. This is the requirements to constitute as Christ's church. This is the reason why Satan despises prophecy and he leads people to despise it as well. Because if they despise it, they lose sight of where they should be worshiping God and what is the body they should be joined to that they might worship God together. This is what prophecy does. Prophecy unites. No understanding of prophecy scatters. That's what it does. And Ezekiel 37 says prophesy and gather the bones. And my prayer is that this study this evening would have gathered you this evening. And I pray that you would be interested to finding out some more of some of these wonderful themes which was presented to you this evening. And I want to encourage you, please get these tools. And also, send us an email or a, or a text message or comment in the chat if you want to have some personal Bible studies. We're a personal ministry because Christ was a personal Savior. And the disciples were very personal because they learned from Christ. If, if it's one person that we have to visit at the well in Brazil, we, we come to Brazil and sit at the well with you. If it's one person we have to visit in Panama, we'll come visit you in Panama to simply teach the gospel. Christ was willing to go, go to the Canaanite region just to reach one soul. So we're willing to do that to help our brothers and sisters understand the prophetic message for this time. So I pray that by the grace of God, if you were blessed this evening, share these videos, encourage others to watch, and please stick around for the next presentation as we're now going to look at the religion, that the new system that Satan is going to try to set up to oppose Christ's system. So I pray that if you are blessed um, for this next presentation, send out the, um, uh, the, the YouTube channel to, to souls so that they may join us in this next presentation that we're about to have in the next few minutes. Shall we close out with a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to thank you, O God, for being with us this evening. And we want to thank you for the simple faith in which you've given to your people. Oh, Lord, even the more sure word of prophecy, which is the faith of your people. The sanctuary system is, is the foundation of our faith. The foundation of the church's faith. And I pray and ask, Lord, that the things were made plain tonight, that the illustration used would have left the favorable impression upon minds. And I pray and ask that those who have heard your voice will go see whether these things be so. May you lead and direct them where they ought to go, that they might have a better understanding and a knowledge of the things that were shared this evening. And I pray and ask that you bless the, the, the next presentation that are about, that's about to go forth in a few short minutes. Thank you, O Lord. Please baptize us with the fresh baptism of your Holy Spirit. And we ask for the continued help of heavenly angels. And we pray and ask, O Lord, for a divine revelation of your presence, and that you would please forgive us of our sins. And please create in us a clean heart, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.